team yesterday this is like the third straight month in a row where we're just meeting more and more needs within our community and so if you're a part of the provision team thank you it ended up a last count at 39 families that we were able to minister to yesterday and so also if you are actually would like to get involved with the provision provision ministry on the second Saturday of the month, let us know because we can always use more volunteers to kind of help us just as the needs meet the more volunteers that we need um, to be a part of that as well. And so provision team, thank you for that yesterday. Um, let's give them a hand. So, but um, but it, we're right here at the church on sa- the second Saturday of the month whenever we um, have the provision ministry. Um, but kind of getting started this morning, um, another part yesterday, um, we've all had these different points and different times whenever we're talking to people, and we're like, can you say that again, please? Uh, this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever what you're saying. And yesterday... Um, I was able to be a part of actually officiating a wedding. And at the end of the wedding, first of all, you know that if you're at a wedding, that is some of the most awkward times if you're around people that you don't know. And if you're sitting at a table with people you don't know, you're just kind of like, I don't know you. Here goes awkward conversation. And so we're sitting around the table, and I'm sitting there with the people. And the guy actually sits, one of the guys actually asked me, he goes, so are you a real pastor? And I'm like, do what? You know, and I didn't really know how to respond because I'm like, well, I guess so. If you're talking about a lead pastor, no. But if you're talking about a pastor on staff at a church, yes, I am legally able to do this. And so we all have these times that people say stuff to you that you're just like, you really just ask that. And, it's, and so whenever I was getting ready for this week and Pastor Mike was, um, asked, me and told me, asked me that I was going to preach, I was sitting there and um, I was like, he was like, well, kind of do whatever you want to. I was like, well, I'd really like just keep going through James and, and whenever that way we could just kind of see and I'd be able to kind of continue the flow of the messages. And so whenever I, I looked at these verses and I was just like, what have I got myself into? And because whenever you read these verses and you start looking at these verses, these are some of the most out of place verses These verses actually, they really, whenever you read them, you're like, these make absolutely no sense to me because it's actually, is it really saying that if we bring people down front and we put oil on them, the elders pray over them, they're going to be healed and that's a promise that God's going to fulfill. And so it's kind of a weird type of wording. It doesn't seem to fit within the overall context of the book because whenever you look at the, remember the overall context that we've been walking through since the book, since the month of April is that the context of the entire book of James is James is writing to Jewish believers who are undergoing persecution. And so whenever you're looking at these verses and you start working through them, you've got to remember the overall context of the book whenever you try to do interpretation. In fact, these verses right here, they have been used for a wide variety of interpretation, a wide variety of beliefs. These verses, actually, if you grew up, maybe some of you grew up with a Catholic background, These verses are actually where the Catholic Church gets their last rites or extreme unction from and where that they say that they bring the priest in right before you're going to die and they anoint you with oil. This is where the Catholic Church actually gets gets that practice from. And then also there's been, I grew up more in a, I grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist background. And I've actually, I remember growing up that they would, someone was sick, someone was diagnosed with an illness, a major illness. And then they would actually bring them down front. They would put oil on them and pray for them. Some of you are like, wow, that was a weird Baptist church. And I'm like, well, 
because I've heard from others that you know, Baptist churches avoid that altogether because any type of move of the Spirit, you know, the Baptists have to avoid that because then they would seem kind of way off the wall. Um, but then others have actually argued these verses that a ministry of healing should be in place in within the local church. And so kind of looking at the history of these verses, that there's really a, really a wide range within, within them. And so whenever I started studying them, I was like, this makes absolutely no sense. And how does this work out within the body of Christ? And so we're going to work through this. Um, hopefully I'll be able to challenge some of your beliefs, especially with the whole physical healing part, because I, I believe that this passage actually speaks to so much more than actually a physical healing um, within someone's life. But one of the main goals that we want to see within this passage is how should a believer respond in the face of difficulty? Because whenever you start to read this passage, you see that James starts off. He says, is anyone anyone among you suffering, then let him pray. And Pastor Mike hit a lot on this subject last week whenever the deal with, whenever going through the whole patience and while suffering and dealing with suffering and that the best is yet to come. And so, but the goal of a believer whenever we face difficulty and whenever we face suffering, because this suffering within this context, they were actually suffering for the sake of the gospel. They were suffering because of their stand for the gospel. They were suffering because of the fact they have actually refused to bow down to the culture. And they were saying that, yes, Jesus is God. And they were willing to risk everything for the sake of the gospel. And so the first thing that, he, that James does right here, he says that while you're suffering, then let him pray. And you know what? As a believer, sometimes whenever we're suffering, whenever we're suffering for the sake of the gospel, the only thing that we can do is pray. There's no other response that a believer should have. There's no other activity that a believer should have other than praying and seeking after God. Because here's the thing right here with prayer. Prayer is not, actually, is not having some good feeling, some good thoughts. Because how many of you have heard this um, phrase right here whenever a tragedy happens? Well, my prayers and my thoughts will be with you. What's your thoughts matter? You know, your thoughts don't really matter in, within that. And who are you actually praying to within this? But whenever we pray, it is actually bowing down and seeking after God and acknowledging the creator of the universe, acknowledging the one who came to the earth and died on the cross in our place and acknowledging him that there's no, nothing that we can do, but it is only going to be an act of God that can help the situation whenever we're praying. It's taking that dependence on yourself within the midst of suffering and giving it over to God and allowing God to work, to work through that situation. And so, and so there was the idea of suffering. Then whenever you're dealing for the sake of the gospel, you are going through turmoil for the sake of the gospel, then you turn it over and and you, seek, you give it over to God and you pray after him. But James continues on within this passage and he says, Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And, there was, and this was the second part of this passage because you got suffering and then cheerful and then you praise. And then he goes through, if you're, is anyone among you sick? And this whole idea of being cheerful isn't this idea of just being happy all the time, just being giddy. Because how about this? How many of you, you get, you get around some people and they get on your nerves because they're so happy? Do you have any of those people in your life? Whenever you get first thing in the morning, get to the office, and those people, you're like, don't bother me. Quit. Don't come close to me till 10 o'clock with all of your just happiness and joy. All right. My deal is, if I don't have at least two cups of coffee in my system, 
I'm not functioning just right just yet. It's like this cloud within me, and it's like, wow, Chris, there's something wrong with you. It's called coffee. And so, and, and, and some of you, I would have to say maybe Ashley kind of can, can be that type at times, get around her, and, and she's just like, why are you so happy, girl? And, and, but we all had these people that they just, they just irk you because it's just that you don't, just saying, Ashley. But... but <laughs> But it's just, it's just kind of funny. The whole point here isn't just this happiness and just this giddiness, but the whole point here is having this overall sense of awe and the sense of joy because you're a child of God, no matter what the circumstances will be. Understanding of who God is, understanding how the gospel has played out within your life gives you joy and gives you this sense of that God is in control, God, God is at work no matter what the situation is. And what happens as a result of that is you're, you give praise. You give praise back to God. You give Him honor. Prayer, praise is actually both singing and also kind of an act of prayer as well. And so whenever we're here singing and worshiping, we're singing praise back to God and we're giving Him honor back as well. But also within our, within our prayer life, is our prayer life just seeking what we can get from God, but also is it honoring Him for what He's done in our life and thanking Him for what has gone on in our life. The Christian life is not some dull, mundane, bitter life. It's a life where we find our joy, our completeness in the gospel. Our completeness is not found in ourselves but both prayer and praise is essential for the believer who's undergoing persecution for our spiritual strength. If you're going through suffering, you need to be able to thank God. You need to be able to give praise to Him. You need to be able to look to Him because you realize the situation that is going on around you and the situation among you is so much smaller in comparison to who God is. And you realize that and you realize how great of a God it is that we serve. Because one of the things that I find out, the more that we have a desire to know who God is and more that we have a desire to understand His character, then more of a desire that we have to turn it back around and give Him praise. Because then the more that we know about God, the more that we understand who He is, what He's revealed about Himself, is how much smaller we realize that we are. How small we are in comparison to who God is. Well, you may ask, well, how do I find joy in Jesus? How do I find joy in the gospel? Our joy is in who he is and not in who we are. Our joy, we remember the best is yet to come, as Pastor Mike said last week. Our faith is not wrapped up in what's going on right now. Our faith is in what's to come in an understanding that one day as believers, our hope is that one day Jesus is coming back for us and we're going to be with him. That's where our faith is. And, and our joy, we remember that because it gives us a hope that things are just going to get better. But then also we find joy, if we've been redeemed by the gospel, we find joy in looking back in who we once were alienated from God, and now we have been redeemed by God. Remember what you used to look like. Remember who you used to be. And look forward to how the transformation has now who it's made you to be. Because if you've been changed by the gospel, there should be life change within your life. 
And you're able to look back and see the life change that's taken place. No matter, because I'm one of those that were saved at a young age, but I can still see over the years, sanctification continually taking place within, within my life. And so as a result, you're still able to look back and see who you used to be and who you are now. And also one day understanding of who you are going to be one day as a result of the coming again of Jesus Christ. And so the first two points right there, you know, they're pretty easy. They're pretty simple to understand that whenever we're suffering, pray. Whenever things are good, whenever because of the gospel, sing praise to God. But this next part, this is going to be the part that's going to be kind of like, now what's going on here? What's exactly is he seeing here? And James, and he starts off and he says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. So here's the thing right here we got to understand about this passage. Whenever it's referring to the word sick, this word in the original language is used in a couple different ways within the New Testament. And what happens is the majority of the time within the New Testament, well, within the Gospels, Jesus actually uses these words actually referring to a physical sickness and referring to a physical weakness. But what happens within the writings of Paul is that Paul actually starts using these words for actually with major theological implications behind these words. And so you take these words and you start seeing how it kind of plays out within, within the book, um, within the New Testament, and you start to see it kind of a pattern take place that it was referring to physical sickness, and then there's a few other times that it's scattered that it's referring to physical sickness. But the major implication here is you see a major underlying theme of referring to spiritual weakness. Because whenever you look at this passage and you start to try, to try to figure it out within the overall context of the book, you start to think, well, this really doesn't make sense within the overall context of the book. Now, this is something right here that, that I have to explain to you a little bit, that whenever you are actually going through um, and studying a passage of Scripture, and this is something that we teach um, within the one-on-one -on -one, um, discipleship, is that you have to make sure you do your observations and, and you're figuring what the text is saying, but then you also want to make sure that, that what you're saying is consistent with the way that this passage is kind of interpreted throughout interpreted throughout the rest of the church age. And so this was kind of one of my challenges with these verses because I was reading it because I wanted to be faithful, not what anyone else is saying. And, just, and it was a struggle because uh, this really isn't matching up to what a lot, of, a lot of others are saying that this passage is saying. Well, until I started reading and started looking at the words and all, and then it started clicking, making sense. Because another part of biblical interpretation of measuring up what your interpretation is against others is about the fact that the number one rule is context is king. Context within the overall book of the passage is what should be ruling our interpretation of the passage. And if you start putting out saying, well, this is referring to physical sickness, then what happens is you get something completely inconsistent with the rest of the book of James. But whenever you start thinking about this passage and understanding, understanding it through the eyes of, is James referring to spiritual weakness here? it starts to click and it starts to make sense because spiritual weakness, there's a couple different ways that spiritual weakness takes place. Spiritual weakness within our life can come from suffering. It can come from the fact of us suffering for the sake of the gospel because we are tired, we are weary, we are actually just struggling to make it through to the next day. But then also, spiritual weakness comes within, comes within us because of sin in our life. Sin kind of seeping in, 
sin kind of creeping in whenever we were not really expecting it to take place. But sin, whenever it starts to invade our life and starts to hide within our heart, it begins to wear us down. And it begins to kind of just to, to play its toll on our life and to actually make our lives where we get tired. We get tired of fighting it where we're more apt to actually give in to the sin. And so whenever we look at this and he says, if anyone among you is sick, think about it like this. Is anyone among you spiritually weak? Are you struggling within your life? Are you struggling because of sin deep down in your heart? Maybe also there's sin within your heart that you don't even know about. That it is hiding within you and you are just putting it to the back of your mind. But some of you are just fighting to hold on to that over and over and over again. But then James, he says, if you're spiritually weak, call on the elders of the church to pray over you. And you say, why the elders? Why the elders of the church? Now, this isn't talking about the fact of just calling random people to pray for you. Because while you can do that, if you're a part of Celebration Baptist Church You've got elders to come to. You've got elders to pray for you. Your elders are there to be spiritual leaders for you. Your elders are there to love you, to care for you, and to help you in your times of spiritual weakness. And I think it's also, it's a challenge because it was a reminder to me as an elder here, as a reminder to elders, we've got to make sure that we're praying for the people. And the elders should be, are set apart by the church because they're the example. They're the ones who are actually walking through the biblical qualifications of being an elder, and they are the ones that you should be able to, to come to and walk through. Let me just say this. I believe wholeheartedly this church has some of the best elders. This church, and I'm not counting myself here, this church has some really godly men. I think about, I see Ronnie, and I, and I see Matt, and then I think about Craig, and I think about Jimmy, and I think about Howard, and then somehow Dan and myself gets wrapped up in here, I don't know, and then, and so, no, bro, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but, but I think about, like, myself, how I'm like, how am I even, like, fit in here with this, but then I think about Pastor Mike as well, as one of the elders, how incredible, blessed of a church that it is to be able to call on your elders to pray for you whenever you're struggling spiritually. But at the same time, how great of a responsibility it is for the elders to pray over you. James continues on with this whole idea with praying, calling for your elders. Another part of this don't wait till too, until it's too late. Majority of the cases, whenever people actually seek out help, it's almost too late. The divorce papers have already been filed. The relationships are almost irreconcilable. The pain is just so great because you've refused to call on help. Don't wait till it's too late. Ask for help. Break down some of the pride within your heart 
and allow God to use the people that he's placed within your heart to help you during your struggle. Whenever you look at this passage, you may ask, well, why anointing with oil? Is it actually referring to a literal, like actually anointing? I really don't know. There's so many, there's a couple different things. One way is that oil in the early church was used as a medicinal practice. It was also used, like today, for food. It was used for lighting um, lamps. It was used for whenever they come traveling and because they were walking, then to wash off a lot of the um, dirt off of their feet and their hair. It would anoint, they would put it on their skin to soften their skin. It was also used within the Old Testament as a way to, to, they would pour it over the items within the temple in order to to cleanse it for the coming for the Holy Spirit. And so there's various ways that, that oil was used. And so literally what could have been going on within the early church is actually the elders of the church was actually anointed, pouring oil on them, putting oil on them to help with the wounds that they had, that they had received because of the suffering that, they, that had been taking place. And so another part of this is that it was actually used metaphorically to symbolize the working of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know about the oil part. If it was really about the way that the early church, the elders, was actually rubbing oil on the wounds and all that kind of stuff, I can't help you with that. Somebody else says, Matt, that's up to you, man. I'm sorry. Please don't ask me to put oil all over you. It's just, it's not happening. So, so there's a couple different ways with, sorry, man. And, uh, <laughs> so there's a couple different ways that you can look at with the oil. But the part of this is that whenever you seek the elders, praying elders will deliver you whenever you're spiritually weak. And it will help you come out of the spiritual weakness and restore you to a spiritual vitality. The whole point here isn't about the the process that takes place. The whole point is asking the elders to come around you so that you will be restored to spiritual vitality. Whenever he says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Because you actually come to a place of repentance in your life. The elders praying over you, you realize the sin that's holding onto your life, the sins within your life, and you actually ask and you repent of those sins, you turn from those sins, and so then your sins will be restored, um, be forgiven. And so the whole point here with saving you, the prayer of faith will save you, the prayer of faith is going to restore you. The prayer of faith will help you. It will strengthen you. The whole idea with the physical healing, am I saying that God can't physically, physically heal? Absolutely not. Listen to this quote by John Blanchard. He says, However, the primary thing in the whole situation of any healing is the glory of God, the working of His will. We need to recognize that He can accomplish this in any of the circumstances that might follow a Christian's illness. Healing by the body's natural process can be to the glory of God. Healing by supernatural intervention can be to the glory of God. And so can death also be to the glory of God. Philippians 1.20 says, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. The whole point here is, we don't know if God is going to physically heal or not. If I was to sit up here and say, oh, well, this is actually saying, if you do it like this, 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 God's going to magically heal you. I don't believe that's the promise here. But it doesn't erase hope that we have within the gospel because there's sometimes... We have prayed, you have prayed, 
And God still took that loved one. There are times that you are struggling with that sickness. And it is not dependent on how strong your faith is. It is all about bringing the glory of God. Sickness, death, good health, bad health. Our whole focus throughout that entire struggle should be to bring the glory to God. To give Him glory for who He is and in all of His might as being mere humans. And as you walk through this, James, then he says, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You can be healed from the struggles within your life, the sins within your life. But it comes to a point where we actually have to break down and we realize that we've got to be honest with one another. We have got to be honest as a body of Christ. We've got to be honest with our struggles. Now, you can't do it within the overall Sunday morning worship service, but the honesty within your life comes through getting to know and being a part of the smaller community, the small groups. And you're probably like, Chris, you're the small groups pastor, so of course you're going to throw something about small groups in there. Absolutely! That's my job! So, but... The whole point, if you're sitting here and the only point of connection that you know on Sunday mornings is just the people on Sunday morning, you're missing it. But where it comes down to within the body, within small groups, is that we have got to get to a place within small groups is that we cannot think that we've got our act together. We cannot think that our lives are perfect and we portray perfection to other believers. Because here's the thing right here, we're all messed up. Every single one of us in this room, we are messed up sinners reliant on the gospel. Some of you have not got to the place of responding to the gospel, and this morning you need to respond to the gospel. But the rest of us who have responded to the gospel and and God has saved us, then what happens is we need to get to a place where we are sharing our struggles. We have brothers and sisters in Christ around us and actually walking through life, helping us in our spiritual weakness. And whenever we are confessing those sins for one another, because think about what sin is. Sin is completely contrary to the nature of God. We cannot come into into close even contact with God outside of Jesus Christ because of the sin within our life. But also sin does nothing but separate you from other believers. The whole point of sin is to destroy you. Sin may have, you may enjoy different sins, you may enjoy and you're fighting to break that, but sin does nothing but destroy you. It does nothing but actually alienate you from other believers. It puts you in a box and it puts a wall up where you are actually separated from, the other, from other believers as a result of sin. And so whenever we confess it, we are actually opening up our heart and sharing the, the struggles that we are having and it breaks down those walls where it creates an honesty where the Holy Spirit can actually work within believers' lives in, in relationship with each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite, favorite authors, one of the books that's had one of the most profound impact on my life in a book called Life Together, he says this about community. He says, in other words, life together under the word will remain sound and healthy only where it does not form itself into a movement and order a society, but whether, where it understands itself as being a part of the one holy universal Christian church. 
where it shares actively and passively in the sufferings and struggles and promise of the whole church. Do you get that? The church isn't an organization. The church isn't just this building, but the church is a body of people who we share our struggles with one another and we walk to be closer to Jesus and to be more and more and more like Jesus. Bonhoeffer continues on and he says this, In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws himself from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it. The more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. Some of you need to allow the light into your heart. You may, well, how do I do this? Have brothers and sisters that you trust around you to help you. If it's a private sin, do it between brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sure it's guys with guys and girls with girls. Don't, all right, there's, you're breeding trouble there. If someone confesses sin to you, let them be confident in you, in you that you're not going to spread it to other people. If you're pious in your sins and you think that you're okay and that you don't need to do this, take a look back at the gospel and you realize how sinful that we all are and how much all of us need the grace of Jesus Christ. And then finally, James closes us out and he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's work. And then he uses Elijah as an example. Here's the point right here. When our response to God is correct, God responds generously. Whenever we actually respond to God with, with our heart truly seeking Him, breaking down those walls, God moves in an incredible way. God wants to move in your life. Look at what happened with Elijah. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. Some of you, your soul is a dry, parched land. Your soul is like a desert. God wants to flood it with his grace. God wants to restore your spiritual walk with him. Some of you may actually be, Chris, I've been serving, serving the Lord all these years, and I'm just burnt out, and I'm just weak. Pray that God would restore that dry, parched land within your heart where you just feel dead and worn out. Ask God to help you. Trust Him to help you and to work through that. So what do we do with all of this right here of James where, where confession, allowing God to work and to restore? Some of us, we're hiding hidden sins. No matter what they may be, some of us are, we've got, we're, we've got ourselves in a box and we need to confess them. 
with brothers and sisters to help us overcome them. You'll never do it alone. You'll never beat it alone. You need other brothers and sisters around you to help you. Some of you, you need to allow the elders to help you. You really need the elders to pray for you. Elders, it's our responsibility. You need to trust your elders. Those are the people that God has put in place over your life if you're a part of celebration. Some of you, in order to have elders over you, you really need to make this celebration your church, your body of believers that you're a part of. And the reason why some of you may ask, well, Chris, why do you have to go through a church membership class? Well, here's the thing right here. You need to understand really how, who we are as a church. You need to understand our doctrine. You need to understand what we do, how we, how we do things. And, so, and then also a part of the church is the fact the church is a representative of the kingdom of God here on the earth today. And we are representing Jesus to a lost world. And so where there, there is a huge divide between the church and the world. Because we are waving the flag of the gospel of Jesus Christ as, as believers. And so the reason why that we have to, that what we do in our church membership classes, is we hear your testimony. And the reason is, is in order to be a member of a church, a true church, is you have to profess faith in Christ. There's no other way around it. And so that gives you a chance to tell how God has saved you. But it also gives a chance for you to understand who we are as a church and making sure that you agree with our doctrine and agree who we are as a church. And then it gives us a chance while we walk through, we get to know each other as well. And you're like, here's what I've seen. Most of the people come through, oh, this is the church for me. This is where, because as a result, you understand who we are. Because you can't have elders over you if you're not a part of the local church. It just, it works that way. As a body, in response to this, we just need to pray. In response to the word here, we need to become a praying body. We need to become a body that is known for our prayer. You... You and myself included, we need to develop more of a prayer life. We need to learn more and more and more to seek God with everything that we have. But then the final thing that some, some of you may need to do this morning is that you need to respond to the gospel. Jesus Christ, he came to this earth to die for your sins. He came, paid the penalty on the cross for your sins, we're all sinners, and, that, and we repent of those sins, and we turn from those sins. And as a result, we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So this morning, what do you need to do? We all need to pray. There's a point where we all need to confess but maybe you're sitting there and you need to respond to the gospel as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for how you sent your son to die on the cross for, for all of us. And Father, you desire for us to know you.
Father, I pray that you will point out within our life sins that we've been holding back, sins that we think that we can hold on to, hold on to, and that we will we'll be able to defeat them on our own. But Father, help us to be surrounded by brothers and sisters. Help us to find those that we trust. And Father, help us to rely on you to do a work in our heart. And Father, there's some of us that that we're just trying to get through day by day by day and our souls are dry and they're parched and they're a desert. But Father, just flood our souls with your grace. Flood our souls with your love. Heal our hearts and make us become more and more like you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen. If we'll all stand, now's the time where you can respond. These altars are open for you to come down and pray. But then also, if you'd like to pray, I'll be down front as well.